I think that all stories start with once upon a time. So once upon a time, uh, my kids grew up in the woods and they had a variety of friends who did and who did not. Mm -hmm. And for this particular story, we had a pair of friends who did not. And our house, we were really lucky at the edge of our yard was a creek and the kids were walking the creek some like early spring, like that first really warm spring day, one at a time down the creek bed. And the last girl in line was the least experienced in the woods. And she got her foot stuck in the mud. Oh no. And the three kids in front of her just kept walking until that last little girl, she stopped and she said, hey, I'm stuck. Right. So my daughter dutifully turned around and went and took hold of the little girl's calf and yanked her foot up out of the pot of mud and then reached down to get the shoe that had been caught in the mud and fell in herself. Oh. And the second little girl was like, said to her, hey, we're so muddy. Let's go get your mom to take our picture. And so my daughter like looked down at her like muddy self and she's like, yeah, okay, let's do that. Yeah. So, uh, so Tally had, um, she had fallen about knee high into the mud on one leg, mid thigh in the other and up to her elbow to like pull the mud, the, the shoe out and they like come up. And the other little girl said to me, she said, we are so muddy. And this other kid, she had an ankle boot of mud and a splatter on her knee and one little touch on her cheek, mm -hmm. right? Now, to this kid who didn't get dirty, she was so dirty, right? right? But to my kid, who quite honestly spent a lot of time in the mud, she was <laughs> right, like, this was not so dirty to her. Welcome back to the podcast, Villagers. I'm Jay Highland, and I will once again be your host for this episode of Village Voices, our jaunty little relational conservation podcast, where we're going to explore topics of outdoor education, positive youth development, community building, nature education, and how they all connect to protect the natural world. Today, we're exploring parenting in nature. We love exploring myriad stories through recurring topics here at Village Voices, and parenting in nature is one of those topics we'll be revisiting from time to time. We're going to get insights from all sorts of villagers as we take a look at the benefits and how-tos of nature play. For this episode, we were able to learn quite a bit about homeschooling children with an outdoor focus as we chatted with our friend, Linda Hinks. Linda runs Wren Homeschool Consulting in Middle Haddam, Connecticut. Linda is an educational philosopher who started her career as a classroom teacher and a museum educator, then time kind of stopped and the earth stood still when she heard an article on homeschooling. Through the next 20 years, Linda and her children have explored not just reading, writing, and arithmetic, but also nature, community building, service, and diversity. They have homeschooled at the top of a mountain, sang songs to non-releasable raptors, and watched the moon blot out the sun. Now that her kids have graduated, she's turned her experience into help for families and organizations exploring what kind of learning works best for them. Her favorite things include nature, reading, collecting information, Lindy Hop, teaching, and most things ending in ology. So we're going to jump right in. And we hope that you enjoy this episode. So hello, Linda. Thank you again for joining us with the podcast here today. I'm so excited to sit down and connect with you and, and kind of gain from, from your expertise some of the ways that we, we can kind of connect kids into nature. 
Um, you have a wide breadth of experience in formal education as well as homeschooling and as a parent, and that's a lot of hats and it's a tremendous amount of expertise. So could you share with some, uh, some of our village some of your personal experiences as a parent connecting your kids to nature? Sure. Um, we took a lot of our experiences outside, reading, writing, art, so much art happened outside. Um, so like once upon a time, we went on a trip to the White Mountains with a whole troop of our childless friends. So there were, I don't know, six or eight grownups, me and my two kids who were about seven and nine at the time. And we went to the White Mountains. Um, so we all were going up the mountain, but of course the people with long legs traveled that much more quickly than the people yeah. with short legs. So um, I planned some things for us to do because I knew that we were going to stop, right? So right. snacks are an easy way to do it. But I actually packed along Heidi with us because I thought, wouldn't it be fun for my girls who again were, you know, of that same age to climb up the mountain alongside Heidi? It's a different mountain. It's a different time, but it was a great excuse to just sit down when we got out of breath. Yeah. And one of the, the really great things about it was that other people stopped along the way. They saw us sitting and reading. And so we ended up having conversations about Heidi with absolute strangers, just bringing literature out into nature. And that's such an, a great way to, to integrate storytelling with your experience in nature and, and help kids see more than just their immediate experience. It's kind of like this duality to the, to the exercise. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun because we could look at our vistas. What was our mountain like? What were our plants like? And then read the description because of course in the Alps, you know, it's an entirely different ecosystem. So there was a lot of comparing and contrasting. Oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. So a little bit of a bit of the science along with the adventure. Right. Excellent. right. Well, every, everything is all interconnected. Yeah, absolutely. What, what kind of benefits have you seen your kids gain from spending so much time outside in the green spaces of the world? Oh, uh, wow. So um, I would have to say that my kids are confident, right? They're confident in their physicality. Right? Like they know where their bodies begin and end. They're really confident about climbing and moving and yeah. reaching. Uh, and just that self-awareness, I think, breeds some of that confidence, right? Uh, also, they're really self-reliant, right? Like um, my mom always used to say that you, when you spend a lot of time outside, you learn what a tool is, mm. right? Like you have to reach, you have to dig, you, you know, a stick can be almost any tool yeah. in your hand. It's, it's dependent upon what you think of it when it's in there. I, I mentioned connectivity, yeah. right? They, they see their, themselves as connected, not just to their person, right? But also to the world at large. So physically, emotionally, intellectually, they're really super connected to themselves, their friends, and the space that they have inhabited, right? Um, and I think that that has really grown with them. Um, my 
older daughter, for example, we were really lucky and she has traveled quite extensively. She started when she was 15. She did uh, several weeks in Canada um, where she did, where she was working with animals and in the environment. And then she actually went to Ecuador and she's also gone to Costa Rica. And in each of those spaces, wow. she has, you know, worked hands on with people and the environment. We have really great experiences. We are going to be back in just a moment with more from Linda and our conversation about helping kids connect with learning in nature. But we'd really appreciate it if you took a moment and just heard a little bit about one of our biggest supporters and partners as we became Project Emo. Project Emo wouldn't be where it is today without the generous support of Pro Bono Partnership. Their team of experts helped us incorporate and gain charitable 501c3 status. At every step of the way, the volunteers at Pro Bono Partnership offered guidance and diligent counsel to help us grow in ways we never could have achieved on our own. Pro Bono Partnership is celebrating 25 years of providing free legal help to nonprofits in Connecticut, New York, and New Jersey. Founded on the belief that strengthening nonprofits will make stronger communities, the partnership's mission is to provide nonprofits with the legal advice and educational resources they need to build capacity, reduce risk, and enhance programming with confidence. The partnership services were never more critical than during the last two years, when the global pandemic led to shifting requirements for nonprofits and a greater need for services within communities. The partnership and its 1,400 volunteer attorneys were there to help providing 38,000 hours of free legal assistance to nearly 900 nonprofits, valued at $19 million in 2020. Pro Bono Partnership is also a nonprofit organization, and your support is what makes their mission possible. Learn more at probonopartner.org. So it sounds like you did some hiking, and then you kind of brought in some of the the, the broader learning into it. What other kind of activities did you encourage and um uh, while while they were outdoors as kids? We did a lot of art. Um, are you familiar with Andy Goldsworthy? No. Uh, he is one of our absolute favorites. He's British and he creates art um, just out of natural things and his hands. So oh, nice. um, he has sculpted ice with the warmth of his hands. Oh, wow. He has um, collected leaves in the fall of a variety of colors, and then he stitches them together with uh, hawthorn needles. Really? Oh, he's fascinating. He works in stone. He works with ice. He works um, it's with water. Um, some of his, and he, he photographs them, right? Um, oh, and yeah. those were intensely inspirational for us to go out and, fiddle with things to, you know, collect leaves and to put them into a rainbow of colors and just the organizational aspect sure. of that. Um, stacking rocks in different forms, you know, stitching sticks together, weaving them without wow. anything but uh, using water as a reflection so that you can double the impact. But we learned a lot from Andy Goldsworthy. I'm definitely going to have to explore his work now. Um, and to hear that it was such a, an impact for, for you and your children and what they were able to do with that um, is yeah, tremendous. And I, I think that Andy Goldsworthy's work, it really can appeal to a broad age range. Uh, 
I watched a documentary of his and I thought this is amazing because one of the things that I like about his documentary is that it offers you the opportunity to watch him fail repeatedly. And, you know, in our society, that's not something that we hold up as something worthy to watch, yeah. right? The, the impact of watching someone fail over and over again. And art is so much about failure. You know, the art that you see is only the end result mm. of it. But here you, and it's his first uh, documentary, it's called Rivers and Tides. And in it, you get to watch him battle the tide coming in while he's trying to create this art and he's racing against time to do so and his sculpture fails it falls down several oh, wow. times and, and you watch him mourn it as it goes so i wanted my kids and they were i want to say that they were six and eight at the time i wanted them to see someone fail and then pick up the pieces literally yes. and continue on so we watched it and I expected that they, that we would watch this one little section and that they would go off. They were wrapped, right? They just sat and watched it in its entirety. And then not only that, when their friends came over to do art, I intended for them to see just the end results, just like a smattering of things. And I had a group of kids. There were, I don't know, nine of them sitting in my, you know, in front of my television, watching this man just fail. Yeah. And it was so inspiring. And they took all of those lessons from watching him do those things into my backyard and they did the same things. And when they failed, they cheered each other on, right? Oh, that's tremendous. Like, if Andy can fail, so can you yeah. over and over again. And I think those those hands-on lessons, because what goes the way that you expect it's going to? Very little. Very rarely, right? Um, you know, and art is like that. Life is like that. Nature is certainly like that. Yeah. You know, so plan for the best. Yeah. Right. Or what? How does it go? Plan for the worst. Live for the best. Yeah. Plan for the plan for the worst. Live for the best. And really, it it sounds like you just provide this space for the kids to try, experiment, fail. And then that builds a, a resilience and a drive to carry forward that is really critically important to the developing mind um, to help them. Because at your point, we're, we're just not going to succeed the first time out the gate almost ever, right? It's And actually, actually, there's more value from the process of failure than there is from the process of success in most ways. Yeah, I mean, in... In our lives, right, in our educational lives, one of the things that I pinpointed early on that I wanted for my kids was grit, mm. right? And and you don't get grit from succeeding at everything, right? Nope. You, you need to fail. And so I had to come to terms with the idea that I wanted my kids to fail fairly regularly, yeah. right? Um, now, I wanted them to succeed too. I wanted them to experience little failures mm -hmm. so yeah. that as they gain practice with those little failures, then, you know, when you have strange things that happen, you can pick yourself up with a layer of a plum, right? Yeah. A level of a plum. Yeah. Now thinking about some, like, cause you've talked about some of the structured activity, but then just the, the kids going outside and trying, um, what, 
you know, and especially, you know, with your background as a formal educator as well, can you give me some of your, share with me some of your thoughts about that balance between structured activity and nature and then this free roaming exploration? Right. I, I think it's really important to give kids time and space to explore, you know, not just with their hands, but with their minds, right? Mm-hmm. Internal and external exploration is what helps us to make sense of the world. But also kids are inexperienced humans. I mean, right. I'm an inexperienced human in a lot of ways still, right. right? There's still so much to learn. But when you have an inexperienced human, sometimes you need a little bit of structure to hang your hat on, right? Some A little avenue to start you out to gain some questions so that you can then explore those things internally and externally, right? right? Finding that balance is often an individual like point right there because each kid, each person, each human has a different layer level of how much structure they like and how much freedom they like, right? That finding that balance can sometimes be really difficult, but once you have an idea about how it works, once you have some faith that it will work, Give it gifting people with that freedom, it's it is a gift, right? It's an amazing thing to offer someone when they when you say, here's this little piece, and then they say, what if? And yeah. or what about? And you're like, yeah, what about that? Yeah. Right. I think one of the hardest things I had to learn as an educator was how to stop, right? right. How to hear the question and then say, that's an awesome question. What do you think about that? Mm. Where would you start? Right? Like I, I have a breadth of experiences. I have an answer, right? Or I can give you, like, I can get you into the neighborhood of an answer. And with, with Google in our pockets, there's so many answers available to us. Right. Right. But the beauty of this balance between structure and freedom is to offer inexperienced humans the opportunity to think about it, right? Your mind has come up with this awesome little nugget of a question. What do you think? Where would you look for the answer? How does that work, right? So yes, structure is really great. Structure is an introduction to a world of freedoms that come with your own mind, with your own exploration, with your own questions, right? Otherwise, how would we have Einstein, right? right. How all these people who do thought experiments, right? Yeah. We wouldn't we wouldn't have them if if someone just answered their questions. Right. Right. And I think every kid, every person I meet has that possibility of of just blowing my mind with whatever it is they come up with. Cause I mean, I live inside my own head, right? Like yeah. I know what I'm thinking. Right. It's, it's what are you thinking? That is, it's amazing. And I just like, I eat that up. That's my favorite. And I love watching that process in kids when they, that, that bit of knowledge and a little bit of experience turns into this really powerful curiosity, which then leads to exploration and critical thinking skills. But then this, the excitement of discovery and a kid might find a, a, 
you know, what we maybe you're walking in the woods and we know that this is a game trail. Like we just know that that's the deer go through all the time, but the kids don't know that and they find it and it's suddenly theirs and they are as Sir Edmund Hillary on, on right. It's just, and that's th- that moment where it kind of transitions into this, this hugely powerful experience for them that is so formative uh, and helps, I think, right. turn them into experienced humans at, along yeah. the way. Every moment gives us the opportunity to experience more and more. We we become more experienced as we go, right? But the thing I, I love about it too is that when people have their own experiences, then they take it with them for the rest of their lives. How, as a parent, knowing the benefits of of the kids failing in an attempt at something and the emotional fallout from that, um, how do you balance the knowledge that it's it's the healthy thing to do for their development with the parental, I just want to protect my baby? How do you deal with yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, so let me say that I I envision my parenting like a safety net, right? I also envision my parenting as a boost up, right? Like that classic link my hands together, put your foot in here and let me, let me help you up into the whatever it is, Mm -hmm. right? Like that's where, how I envision how I work as a parent. Uh, But there's another aspect that I had time to think about in my parenting and that's the arc of learning. Right. So the first time you are like your kid watches, you're modeling behavior all the time. And I'm just going to talk about tying shoes because it's a thing that everybody learns how to do. Right. Right. Um, For however long you tie your kid's shoes, they're watching you tie the shoes from their perspective. Right. And then at some point you're like, oh, hey, look, let me let me tell you about tying your shoes while Mm. I'm tying your shoes. Right. This is how it goes. Right. And then. At some point, you gift them with a part of the responsibility. They do the first part. And you're like, awesome, that's great. You're doing a good job. Let me finish that for you. Mm-hmm. Right? And then you let them try it out. And then when they don't succeed, you do it anyway. Right? But right. they've tried. Sure. And then you're helping them, but your hands never touch the laces. Right? Right. You let me help you with my words. And let me tell you how many fights I had with my own children when we crossed that threshold, right? Like, mom, I need your help. Awesome. I'm going to help you with my words. No, I hate that. Right? Like, that's terrible. Who wants that? I just want it to be done. I want to be successful, right? It's really hard to transition. Let me help you with my words. Yeah. And then let me help you you tell me what the words are, right? So they they tell you they do it. And all you're saying is, yep, oh, you missed a step. What's What did you miss, right? I'm just here to cue you, right? And then they're successful. And then you're just a cheerleader. Yeah, right. you tied your shoes, right? But every piece of learning has that. And when we acknowledge where we are in the process, then you can be a better safety net, right? Like when your kid is, climbing the tree and you're like, oh, there's rocks underneath there. Then you say, you know, like, did you notice the rocks underneath there? Like, oh, like, good, right? Right. Like, so you can be the safety net and you you can put little stops in that they learn to do themselves. Right. Right. And that's, that happens along the way 
of that space. Totally. And it's, um, it, it sounds like there's so much of that is, you know, knowing what needs to happen, but being honest with yourself about that, that apprehension. Oh no, my, my child is climbing the tree and there's rocks. There's a danger there to my child's safety. I want to make sure this is learning for them while I act as a safety net so that they, they do have, we want them to fail a little bit. We don't want them to fail in an epic level. Um, it sounds like it's a lot of emotional connections and, and a decent amount of risk management when you have your Definitely. kids in general, but certainly in the woods. I mean, that's parenting. I mean, that's parenting in your living room as well as parenting outside, yeah. right? Right, like it's not terribly much different between, you know, like, I don't know, playing a video game, right? Yeah. You know, where where their little avatar is doing whatever it is that they're doing, right? And you're they're managing risk for it, sure. right? Like this, this little human that I am in charge of, right? Like my job is to help you succeed. And in that, like, oh, is that going to work out for you? Oh, it did. Okay, it good. Did. <laughs> right. right. And so many parents I know, they're really worried about their kids' safety in nature because there's kind of the unknown. And I think that's part of that is because with every successive generation of modern Western society, we become further and further removed from it. So I don't think, I think there's some parental lack of confidence mm -hmm. in nature for themselves. And that translates sure. into what their comfort level is with their kids. So, um, and obviously you, you know, being an educator, parent, and also being a homeschool consultant, how do you help parents work through that? So I think that part of this, right, is that a lot of times people are moving from one space to another, right? Like, um, I know that when I was working as an educator in nature, right, I would have a lot of parents who they grew up in a city. And so the the meadows and the woods were just foreign, right? And there's all of these ideas, you know, uh, I was doing a river class uh, and all the kids came and in, in each class, somebody asked, are there alligators, right? Are there crocodiles in the Connecticut River? Right? Yeah. Because, because a river, like the, the Connecticut River is no different than the Nile right. to a third grader, yeah. right? And they just, they just need to know. And when you have an adult that moves from one type of space into a new one, you, you have no idea. Maybe you grew up on the desert and, you know, you know to dump your boots out and get the spiders out because you know, that's just something you do, right? right. But here, you know, uh, not far from where I live is Glastonbury and there's rattlesnakes, sure. right? Right. Now, where I grew up, we didn't have rattlesnakes. So, you know, I had to get used to the idea. What does that look like? How do, what are the, what are the pieces? And getting educated about my own environment really helped me to feel much more confident about where I was and, and how I could move through it. We'll be right back with Linda as we explore connecting with homeschool parents and their goals, as well as the amazingly immersive learning processes you can find through composting. For now, we'd love for you to take a moment and hear a bit about one of Project Emo's phenomenal sponsors and friends. There are just some places that when you walk around in the woods, it feels a lot like home. Holiday Hill Day Camp and Recreation Center in Mansfield Center, Connecticut is one of those places. For over 60 years, 
Holiday Hill has created a world of action and adventure where kids learn important social and physical skills in an atmosphere of encouragement, acceptance, and fun for everyone from ages three and a half to 14. They also provide a tremendous staff and training program, turning ninth and 10th graders into leaders through their NEST program. The skills and values young people develop within the growth zone created at Holiday Hill will help prepare them to face the challenges of building their best selves for life while meeting their need for adventure and social connection today. Holiday Hill also has a specialized program from our early elementary through middle schoolers called the Finches Program. The staff in this group employ strengths-based social skills groups that focus on children and teenagers with pervasive developmental disorder, Asperger syndrome, high-functioning autism, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, and shyness. They use a fun, activities-based philosophy of practice rooted in dialectical behavioral therapy. If you want your young ones to have experiences that truly last a lifetime, go check out Holiday Hill Day Camp and Recreation Center in Mansfield. Trust us, so many here and our own Project Emo Village grew up there, worked there, and still call it home to this very day. Visit HolidayRecreation.com to learn more about their programs, activities, and to start what we promise will be an amazing adventure. So when folks come to you with your homeschool um, hat on, how do you, is there a process that you have with them to help integrate the green spaces into their homeschool curriculum? So when I work with families, I start initially by talking to them about what's important for them, Mm -hmm. right? And everybody has a different answer, but it comes down to being, like a lot of times it comes down to being connected with themselves, with other people, with culture and with their environment, mm-hmm. right? And once they have named the environment as something, then we talk about what their experiences are and what they'd like to have. What's the ideal, right? Sure. And then helping people move towards that ideal is what, like, it's a process, right? Because lots of people dream big and they should. So it sounds like you kind of find out what their their intrinsic motivations are. And then when right. nature comes into it, then you can, it all kind of opens up into a broader conversation about that. Right. Because, you know, so often, um, so I, I view the world as interconnected. It's mm-hmm. just part of my superpower, mm-hmm. right? So art is math, is science, is everything, right? Mm-hmm. So as we're sitting here talking about educational philosophies, right, this is also, we could talk about like data research and we can talk about statistics and we can talk about, you know, brain formation, so many things. It's all connected together. Right. Uh, And helping families to see the connections. So, you know, like I have uh, one family right now I'm going to be talking to, they're doing an ecology study and they're pretty much going through layer by layer in their compost, right? Oh, nice. Right. The, the compost is, it's microbiology, it's mm-hmm. chemistry, it's, you know, a, a population. We can, you know, do math and statistics. We can do, there's so many things that you can do. I mean, but what they're doing is they're turning their compost pile over. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and they're composting. So like everything can be anything and right. vice versa. What's the power of nature involved in this holistic project-based learning process um, really sounds like there's just so much interconnection. You have a lot of tools at your disposal to, to help share with, with families. Yeah, definitely. I mean, 
you know, I, I love book learning. I, you know, love all of those things. Pretty much if you can learn from it, I think that it's a great tool to have in your toolbox, right? But the thing that I love about project-based stuff is that there is a lot of space in there for questioning, mm. right? There's a lot of space in there for what if and what about and how and how about we right. do whatever, right? Like, and I think that anytime you can put the pause into question, right, then when you get the answer, it's meaningful because it's your question. It's yeah. your question. Yes. Right? And, and that helps to make project-based learning just that much more tangible. And there's a, a reality to the results of the work. that's also yes. very satisfying with project-based learning. And to watch a child light up and they see the end result that they helped create rather yeah. than was created for them is amazing. Right. Yeah, there's a certain aspect of this is mine, right? And not only is it mine, but in a lot of project-based things, it's ours, right? And I think that culturally speaking, that's really engaging and important, right? Like it's not me in isolation, which let me tell you as an introvert, I love working in isolation, Mm -hmm. right? Like that that I do some of my best work all by myself, Mm -hmm. But though I also enjoy that interconnected engagement, that doing a project with someone else, right? Because we have we have a goal together. We're moving towards that goal together. And it gets blended your ideas and mine together to create something that is better than what I could do on my own because I had your help. Right. Like what advice would you give to a parent who wants to be very intentional about using these nature-based project-based learning activities, bringing social learning outcomes into that? So I love modeling and mentoring. I think it's really important to learning as a whole, right? Having someone who has walked the path ahead of you really can be so informative and to help you structure and do all of those things watching someone else do the work that you are going to do and then you can improve upon or not. However, that works like modeling is a really great way to do it. Um, But I want to tell you about an activity that I've done many times. So uh, one of my favorite things to do with a group of kids in the fall is to turn over logs and to sort through the leaves, like dig down to the dirt. Right. Um, There's so much underneath there. It looks like nothing. And yet there's an entire world underneath there. So, um, and this has happened to me several times, right? So um, I remember a couple of classes where some little kid dug underneath and they found a big old spider. Oh, amazing and terrifying and all at once. Right. So I'm going to tell you that I actually like spiders. I think they're really cool. So, so anyway, in these classes, right, uh, the kids ended up finding a spider underneath there and, and you could see on their faces, is this scary? Right. Right? Like, should we be concerned about this? You know, their big eyes are like full of doubt and they're, they're ready to be scared. They're not yet scared. They're just ready. They're looking for cues. Um, Right. Like there must be a good reason to be scared because I mean, we know that people are scared of spiders. So there's a reason, right? 
And that's when I like to like jump in, right? When I see those big eyeballs, I'm like, wow, look at you. What good eyes you have. Those things are hard to find. Brown spiders on brown dirt under brown leaves. Right. You're amazing, right? And I just love to watch that transition because when I'm not scared and I'm enthused, then they're like, I can find more, you know, like they're moving through the space and suddenly they're, they have this permission slip Mm. to be engaged. They have this permission slip to, to find whatever they're going to find. Right. And then I love when they find the spider first, because then the millipedes come out and the squiggly squallies, and then it's, you know, on our hands and, you know, it's so much fun to find this stuff. Right. But modeling, behavior really matters. Yeah. Right. And now when we think about like risk management, how do you, do you, do you actually have parents come to you really worried about that? Like, you know, they've heard there's rattlesnakes. They heard there's, you know, there's black widow spiders in Connecticut. You know, how do you help them through that? Yeah, that's a great question because everyone is entitled to their fear, right? Mm -hmm. Your fear, you have your fear for a reason, right? And sometimes unpacking that reason is it's really hard to do because you might have had it for a really long time. Like maybe you had a bad experience with spiders when you were tiny, right? And you won't remember it, but yet some part of you does, right? So yeah, finding out what people want and again moving towards that goal right a lot of times people do wish that they could move with more ease right and then you find out well what's holding you back right is it lack of information here's a plethora of things that can support you right Right. um is this that you know some of us need some actual physical hand holding and so you know having organizations that take a family out into the woods So you have an expert with you. So you have the support, right? Because again, you know, like it's really hard to be a safety net when you yourself need some safety. Yeah. Right. And so having an expert, having that kind of thing can help build the can do list. Right. And, And maybe that first looks like, you know, I can explore my yard. Right. And then in spaces that look like my yard and then maybe on fringes of things that look like my yard, you know, but there's, there's so much nature to be had in every environment, right? right? There's, there are micro environments in the cracks in the sidewalk, Mm -hmm. right? Um, You don't have to start with the thing that scares you the most. Right. Right. Don't, so, just to jump right into the deep end, right? I'm, I'm, I don't like the water. I don't like fish. So I'm just going to go on a, a cage dive with great white sharks. We're not starting there. Right. <laughs> We're going right. to baby you step. Know, gotcha. And every, a baby step is still a step forward. Yes. Linda, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to share your experience with us here today. It's been it's been a pleasure catching up with you, sharing stories and digging into some of the process you use with parents as they take the journey into bringing their kids outside and then kind of sharing with us some fun activities I think some of our listeners could, could duplicate at home. If you could leave parents out there with some wisdom that will help them with getting their kids on the trails and in the woods, what wisdom would that be? 
Uh, I think we sort of touched on it a little bit earlier. Nature is absolutely everywhere, right? It's the moss at the edge of your driveway. It's the at the park underneath the slide. It's the bird feeders you might have in your yard. It is the woods and the meadows and all those green spaces, but you don't need to have special equipment or scads of time even to have the benefits of getting out into nature. 20 minutes is a great amount of time, especially if it's new to you. Yeah. Uh, creating a habit starts in small increments and making something achievable is really key, right? Um, so find those small pieces, get yourself out. If it's five minutes, if it's 20, it doesn't have to be hours. And then once you're comfortable with those little pieces, nature will call to you yeah. and you'll find yourself out there more and more. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And it has been wonderful catching up with you today. Yeah, let's do it again soon. Well, villagers, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Village Voices from Project Emo. We hope you not only enjoyed our first parenting and nature topical podcast episode, but also maybe learned as much as we did from our friend Linda Hanks. Be sure to find Linda on Facebook at Wren Homeschool Consulting, which is based right next door in lovely central Connecticut. If you liked this episode, be sure to subscribe and share it out. If you really, really liked this episode, hop on over to projectemo.org and find out how you can help. We'd also like to invite you backstage with the Village Voices podcast. We've recently launched a special Benefactors Backstage on Patreon. Your obviously amazing taste in podcast is equaled only by your desire to give back to youth and nature. So we've created a special space just for you. Well, and hopefully thousands of other people like you with equally amazing tastes in podcasts. Hop on over to Patreon and find the Village Voices Benefactors backstage. In this benefactor-only content area, you'll get special episodes, full interview content, and special access into the behind-the-scenes of the cast and the company. You select the tier of your choice for a small monthly membership, and you'll get access to things like side trail wanderings. These are the director's cuts of our episodes, longer, wiser, brainier, chattier, maybe jokier. And these include the amazing extra content we simply couldn't fit in a standard published podcast. There are also a little bit of snippets with other more nuanced information that might be kind of a good mini story. You'll also have the chance to be part of the creative efforts here at Village Voices and share your voice and opinions with the crew. Patrons also have access to special content such as activities you can do with your village, gear talk for nerds, video casts, and who says we have faces made for radio. We'll have special access interviews, special panels, and all sorts of those type of things. So that's the Benefactors Backstage. So thank you again for tuning into the Village Voices podcast. And for now, we hope you have incredible journeys wherever life's trails may take you.